Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Governor Kathy Hochul defended her statewide mask mandate this week as fallout from the directive continued with at least one dozen counties in New York refusing to enforce the directive. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Businesses, restaurants, and entertainment venues must require that all patrons either wear masks or all customers prove that they are fully vaccinated before they can enter. The plan calls for counties to enforce the mandates. But over the weekend, rebellion spread, and by Monday, at least 12 counties said they will not be enforcing the mandate. Some county leaders also complained that the new mandate was hastily devised and announced, and that three days was not enough time to prepare for the change. Changes. Hochul defended the mandate rollout, saying she fully informed county leaders in a phone call to the State Association of Counties about the details beginning last Thursday. Including a call to the head of the Association of Counties that I placed myself. Uh, who said they support what we're doing and they understand it. And she called out county leaders who have publicly opposed the mandates, including Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro and Nassau County Executive-elect Bruce Blakeman, saying they are trying to score political points at the expense of public health. We have to get to a point of rational discussion about this. And it's not about scoring political points or getting headlines to call out the governor on an issue. That doesn't affect a single thing I do. Hochul says the majority of county leaders who represent 73 percent of the state's population do back the mandates. She also defended her rationale for the new rules, saying the rapidly rising infection rate is alarming. Statewide, there's been a 58 percent increase in COVID-19 cases per 100,000 residents since Thanksgiving. And she says hospitalizations of New Yorkers with COVID who are largely unvaccinated have increased 70 percent since November 25th. Hochul says she's trying to keep the numbers from escalating so high that economic shutdowns might become necessary. The governor was joined by selected local leaders and business owners who backed the mandate, including the mayor of Oswego, Billy Barlow, in central New York. He says the hospitals in his region are close to capacity. The mask mandate does strike a fair balance, uh, as, as you've described, between protecting our citizens and allowing businesses to safely stay open and operate successfully. 32 hospitals across upstate are currently restricted by the state health department from performing elective surgeries. That's because their bed capacity is less than 10 percent. The governor spoke on the one-year anniversary of the first New Yorker and the first American to receive the vaccine. Sandra Lindsay, a nurse and the critical care director at Long Island Jewish Medical Center, received her first dose on national television. Hochul says if more New Yorkers had followed Lindsay's actions and received their shots, she would not have to impose any new mandates at all. One year later, just over 70 percent of state residents are fully vaccinated, despite the vaccine being widely available for the past several months. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan? Former Governor Andrew Cuomo has been ordered by the Ethics Commission to give up the millions of dollars he was paid to write a book about his response to the pandemic. An attorney for Cuomo immediately called the action unconstitutional and promised to fight. Cuomo was directed to turn over proceeds earned from American crisis, leadership lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic within 30 days under a resolution approved 12 to 1 by the Joint Commission on Public Ethics. Your thoughts this morning? Well, among other things, David, I wouldn't want to be either of the Cuomo brothers right now, but I wouldn't want to be Andrew. I mean, this is very tough stuff. I have a feeling that there is a case here for Andrew Cuomo. You know, he was given this money and now they want to take it back. And I think he can make an argument that this is illegal and not proper. I have very little sympathy for the guy. And the question is, did he break the rules? If the rule says you can't use anybody within your administration who are being paid by the government to do your private work, which you're going to get a lot of money for, then it may well be that it turns out he can't have the money. But there's a wicked game of politics going on here. Look, there's no question that there is a group of people who just finally got together and said, we don't want to be bullied and we're going to do everything in our power to put this guy down and out of politics. And they have so far succeeded. In the beginning, it looked like he would go back into politics. Andrew's a guy who gets up and does his thing and has always been tough, which is why I've named him Tough Guy Andrew over the years. And it does not look right now like that's going to happen. But the people who are on the other side of this are not going to give him a break. They're going to push and push and push. And that's what's happening now. So it doesn't look good for Cuomo, but there are, of course, those people who think he is not deserving of this kind of treatment and who will support him one way or the other. Right now, it does look like he's in a bad and very dark spot. Well, the dean of the New York State Assembly is retiring after 52 years, a man you've spoken with many times who's been in your classes to talk about New York State government Mm -hmm. and politics. He's Richard Godfrey, the Manhattan Democrat from the 75th District. He was at one point the youngest legislator ever elected and has now become the longest serving legislator in New York history. He, of course, is the chairman of the Health Committee, and he came in as a rebel and has certainly found his way in that powerful leadership position. Well, I've watched Dick Gottfried from the time that we were both very young on the west side of Manhattan and what his procedure was for gaining power. He was a guy who upset the apple cart and he won. But when he got to the legislature itself, he was a team player and would come to my classes and I would kid him about it. (laughs) You know, I mean, after all, he got the power by being a rebel. And of course, he has been a distinguished and brilliant chairman of the health committee. And, you know, it's kind of sad to see him go. Because while a lot of people decry seniority and long terms in the legislature as being a bad thing, here's a guy who really did come to peace with the way in which the legislature works and who did it well. I'm sad to see him go. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Chartoff.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York Congressman Paul Tonko is stepping up his efforts to counter automated software employed by scalpers to buy up Christmas gifts and resell them to consumers at outrageous prices. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas explains. Tonko appeared Monday at Vortex Video Games in Waterville with local business owners to promote the Stopping Grinch Bots Act. They have all gone through the uh, struggles of being able to put on the shelf hot items that people want for this season. And uh, sometimes they're just not affordable or available because of these mechanisms that bots utilize. The Democrat from the 20th District describes bots as self-running programs, automated software that can track and purchase inventory online. In a matter of seconds, third-party vendors can use them to buy up trending items until they're out of stock. PlayStation 5, I think, comes to mind, right? You've probably all had struggles with that. That's a very popular item. What happens is these bots organizations will purchase large amounts, extraordinary large amounts at the then retail price, jack up that price, and uh, make it, again, unaffordable for the retailer to have uh, or available for the retailer uh, many times. And this will allow for an, an issue of fairness, a more level playing ground for the retailer to be able to stock their shelves with the uh, the toys that are most popular. In 2016, Tonko's Better Online Ticket Sales, or BOTS Act, was signed into law by President Obama to ban ticket bots that intentionally bypass security measures online and unfairly outprice individual fans. Tonko says the new law would apply the structure of the BOTS Act to e-commerce sites, empowering the Federal Trade Commission and Attorneys General to enforce consumer protection laws to protect shoppers against their use. Frank Loya owns Forgotten Freshness, a classic video games shop in Mechanicville. And it doesn't just happen with this. The bots are uh, in the in with collectibles and toys. Sneakers, Sneakers is another big one. Yeah, uh, anything like that. Like we see uh, the graphics cards, the consoles firsthand. Um, sometimes the the toys, but there's also they do it with Pokemon cards, which are very huge right now, and we sell those in the shop. It takes me I go six months at a time without being able to get them, and it's because people are using bots to buy them online to to sell them. So it's not even just uh, video games; it's all this stuff that holiday uh, that kids want for holidays. Um, that parents they know the parents will spend this extra money, and uh, it's been a problem for a while, and it only gets worse as technology for the bots gets better. The Bots Act isn't foolproof. A weekend ticket scalping incident saw bots sideline fans of pop star Olivia Rodrigo keeping people nationwide from buying concert tour tickets as it acquired then resold them on various websites for as much as $9,000 a pair. Tonko urges consumers to report such incidents. If that is happening, we need to bring that to the attention of the FCC because applying the law as legislatively intended is what uh, we do as watchdogs in the equation. The bill may not move in time to affect this year's holiday shopping season. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. At the end of November, New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced that contracts had been finalized for Clean Path New York, an $11 billion infrastructure project that will enable the delivery of clean renewable energy from upstate New York to New York City. In her announcement, the governor said, quote, The stakes have never been higher for New York as we confront the effects of climate change and the economic and environmental destruction that extreme weather events leave behind. This announcement not only accelerates our pace to achieve the goal for having 70 percent of New York State's energy to come from renewable resources, but we're also creating sustainable jobs, reducing our dependence on fossil fuels and paving the way for cleaner air and a healthier future for all New Yorkers. Joining us to talk about the Clean Path New York project is Justin Driscoll, the interim president of New York's Power Authority, or NIPA. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, David. Great to be with you. Also with us this week, Jeff Blau, the CEO of Related Companies. For the past 25-plus years, Jeff has been responsible for directing and overseeing new developments worth over $60 billion in virtually every sector of the real estate industry. But in this case, he represents a partner with NIPA, an organization called Energy Re. Welcome, Jeff. Good to be here today. And last but not least, Shashank Sane. Shashank is Executive Vice President of Transmission Development at Invenergy, where he's responsible for the multifaceted execution of complex transmission projects, including analyzing the market for new development opportunities, working with customers to commercialize the projects, and building relationships with key stakeholders. Welcome, Shashank. Thank you, David. Great to be here. Great to have all you stakeholders here in this huge, one of the largest, if not the largest in the last 50 years, energy projects in New York. Justin Driscoll of NIPA, let's start with you. Give us an overview of this project, your role and the role of the New York Power Authority in establishing this clean energy transmission line. This is really a a really exciting project, transformational in nature. Um, It will be a 175-mile entirely underground transmission line that's designed uh, to bring upstate renewables, wind and solar, directly into New York City. And what's what's exciting, what's necessary about this, uh, as we look to drive the Governor Hochul's clean energy goals and state policy forward, is that it it's one way that we can solve what we call the tale of two grids with um, uh, New York City's power generation being delivered historically largely by fossil and a lot of upstate wind and solar being developed. And this line is designed to deliver that wind and solar from New York uh, into New York City. And so very exciting. It's not the it's not it's one one piece of the overall solution as um, as we look to green our energy delivery uh, system. But we're very excited about it. As you, as you know, we're a branch of state government. And so our, our mission is to uh, drive the governor's energy policy forward. And um, we, all, you know, we operate uh, large transmission. We own about one-third of the bulk transmission system. So what comes with that is existing rights-of-way. And so what's, what's great about this project is it largely uh, relies on existing rights-of-way and so uh, about 100 miles of the project will be in our existing high-voltage transmission line. And uh, NIPA also will utilize its um, pump storage facility in Schoharie County that we call Blenheim-Gilboa so that if we do have excess wind and solar generation, we can store it in that pump storage facility and deliver it when needed. So we're very excited about this. We've got a great partnership, great partners. 
and uh, and we look forward to executing and delivering this project. Again, that's Justin Driscoll from NIPA, the New York Power Authority. And let's go to one of the partners now, Jeff Blau. He is with an organization called Energy Re. And of course, Jeff, this is a public-private partnership that New York is involved with here in order to get the investment. And because of the size, really the large size of this project, massive, in fact, it requires partnering with the private sector, including places like Energy Re, right? Correct. So I thought I would give you a little bit of the history of how this came about, at least from our perspective. Um, as, as you probably know, uh, I'm also the CEO of Related Companies. We're one of the largest real estate development companies in the United States. And one of our goals long term uh, has been to own our buildings long term. And as a result, we've had a strong focus on sustainability and reducing energy consumption over the years. And we got very active in the energy space and built an energy team um, and started doing some solar development in order to uh, achieve those goals in our buildings. And then ultimately, the New York City passed a bill called Local Law 97, um, which for the very first time uh, chose to use a goal of limiting carbon emission as, a, as opposed to energy consumption. Um, and, and what we realized when studying this bill is that our buildings we're not in all the buildings I'm speaking for the industry, not just related, really couldn't achieve the targets that were put out there because the formula upon which local on 97 uh, relied upon was based upon the grid in New York City. And as Justin said, that grid here is driven mostly by fossil fuels. 80% of the energy is produced by fossil fuels. And we realized if we were ever going to be able to comply with local on 97, that grid needed to be cleaned up. Originally, we thought we would just build some solar uh, and wind, uh, but the problem here in, in New York is these wind and solar projects require a tremendous amount of land, and obviously we don't have that much of it um, in New York City. And the, and the local on 97 didn't allow you to produce wind and solar outside because they truly wanted to clean up the New York City grid. Um, so we went and, re- and spoke to the city and the state, and we realized that the only way to solve this problem was to go where there is lots of land, upstate New York, uh, produce gener- generation of wind and solar, but actually bring that energy into New York City, and, hun- and hence the transmission line that Justin spoke about. Um, ultimately, the state decided to do an RFP for a bundled package of generation and transmission, which would feed that renewable energy into New York City. And that's the project that uh, we were selected for. And as Justin said, this will be the largest renewable energy project ever built in the United States, about $11 billion. And we're very excited to be a part of it and partners with NIPA and Invenergy. So looking forward. Now, Jeff, were you selected as part of a bidding process? How did you get selected? Correct. So this was a state-issued request for proposal. I think about 15 companies originally responded to the request for proposals, and the governor selected two. And our project, Clean Path, is one of the two selected projects. Let me follow up. You mentioned this issue of land. There's not enough land, so you come upstate, you develop these renewable energy projects, and you are intending to transmit that renewable energy back to New York City. We know traditionally in, in New York, there's a, a divide many ways politically between upstate and downstate. I'm assuming that one of the issues here is jobs. By doing this upstate, you create jobs. But do upstaters develop any of the energy that's generated other than sending it along down to New York? Well, interestingly, that is actually the issue right now. New York 
state upstate has done a tremendous job already cleaning up the grid there. So the the grid upstate New York is already 90% driven by renewable energy, as opposed to downstate, which is 20% driven by renewable energy. And so upstate winds up with all the benefits of the job creation and taxes that come from these projects. And New York City winds up with an equalized grid, hopefully back to so that the whole state, because ultimately you can't just clean up one part of the of the world. We live in you know a global uh, a global world, and 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 obviously if you clean up, if New York City is dirty, it affects New York State also. And so um, hopefully when these projects are complete, we'll have a balanced city and state uh, grid of primarily renewable energy driven uh, electricity for all New Yorkers. Assuming then that the cost of that renewable energy will come down for all New Yorkers? I think Shashank's going to actually speak about the cost of the project and, and the impact on ratepayers. Shashank. Sure. I just want to spend one minute you know, introducing Invenergy for those of your listeners who might not know. Uh, Invenergy is one of the leading developers of renewable energy and transmission uh, across the country. Uh, we're currently celebrating our 20th year in business, and, and during that time, we've developed almost 30,000 megawatts across 200 projects. So, you know, quite a long history of executing and delivering on clean energy projects, and particularly in New York State. We've been active in, in the state for over a decade, uh, having put um, wind, solar, and battery storage projects in service uh, in upstate and Long Island. Uh, and through those projects delivered you know, millions of dollars of tax and other payments to the communities upstate uh, and uh, created you know, uh, numerous jobs upstate. So we're, we're very proud to be partners with the communities in upstate New York to deliver these projects. Uh, one point I do want to uh, clarify on the earlier comments about you know, the energy being delivered downstate, one of the unique aspects of Clean Path here is that it, it really is a holistic solution. It, it's not just a, a transmission line. It is a combination of 3,800 megawatts of renewable energy, the Blenheim Gilboa pump storage facility, and the transmission line all together, which will bring you know, clean, reliable energy into New York City. That being said, as I, as I just mentioned, there's 3,800 megawatts of renewable energy being built upstate, all in, in New York State, paired with a 1,300 megawatt transmission line, which means that in many hours of the year, there will actually be more uh, renewable energy than there is transmission capacity to bring that into New York City. Therefore, there will be actually quite a lot of renewable energy delivered uh, and, and used upstate out of the portfolio that we're building. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that one point was clear. Uh, on the, the issue of cost, you know, one of the real benefits of the, the transmission line that we're uh, pursuing here is that it will alleviate uh, significant congestion across the electric grid in New York State. Uh, Justin earlier talked about the, the tail of two grids and, you know, the renewables split versus upstate and downstate. But even beyond that, there is a fundamental inefficiency of the, the New York State grid because of congestion among, along the transmission system. So what the Clean Path transmission line will do will alleviate one of the key constraints in the system, allowing a more free-flowing energy system within New York State, which not only will uh, reduce congestion costs along, around the electric system, but also increase reliability of the system by having uh, you know, more options to deliver energy to various parts of the state. So the, the transmission line will be, play a key role in, in bringing a, additional reliability to the electric grid in New York, um, 
just by its existence, uh, but also the fact that it's an underground line makes it uh, much more, uh, uh, you know, protected against severe weather events and otherwise. So it really will be a key asset for the state long term. What about the issue of environmental justice? Environmental justice is really at, at the core of what we're doing here. Um, you know, the the premise of bringing renewable energy into the city is with the goal of being able to reduce the the utilization of the fossil generation within the city. And so the the health benefits that will create are are you know really focused on bringing the the health benefits and cleaner air to um, underserved, disadvantaged communities in, in the city. And so it's really the core tenant of what we're trying to do. Along with that, you know, we are very focused on engaging with disadvantaged communities in terms of both the uh, the routing of our transmission line as well as um, the economic development uh, impact. So we, we will be certainly making available um, tremendous job opportunities to those communities um, and also, you know, working in concert with them to um, to you know focus the the transmission line uh, and and our routing uh, most appropriately. You know, the the health benefit though is really the the main focus of of our endeavor here again. And the the real metrics to measure that are you know we anticipate a twenty percent uh, reduction in particulate matter. Uh, annually from the power sector. And and as you, I'm sure, are aware, you know, that particulate matter is really uh, a, a big negative from a, a health perspective. And so a 20% reduction will be um, quite an impact there. Uh, in addition to that, we anticipate 49 million tons of uh, carbon emission reduction across the state uh, through the life of the project. So uh, environmental justice is is critical to this project, and, and we look forward to engaging with all those communities as we move forward. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We've been speaking with Justin Driscoll, the interim president of the New York Power Authority, Jeff Blau, representing Energy Re, and Shashank Sonne, executive vice president of transmission development at Invenergy, partners in Clean Path New York. We'll continue our conversation next week on the Legislative Gazette. Justin, Jeff, Shashank, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2151. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. 